invite you tonight to make your way into your Bible to Colossians chapter number 1. Colossians 1, I want to use verse 9 down through verse number 14 as our text for tonight. And this will tie into the overall uh, subject matter that we're looking at. Uh, we're starting a new study and series tonight called Characteristics of a Healthy Church. Characteristics of a Healthy Church. And this is more of an introductory type of message to this and kind of showing what a church is and why we need to seek a healthy church and uh, why we should want to be a healthy church. That's really what it boils down to. The title of the message is Desiring to Be a Healthy Church. And I know, church, that that's what you want us to be at Lee Creek, don't you? Uh, that is what we want to be. It's what we aspire to be. And so uh, let's look at, let's read our text as we begin. Colossians 1 verse 9, Paul writing to the church in Colossae. He says, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And when we think of the church, what may come to our mind? Well, there's many things that may come to our person's mind when we hear the word church that's put forth, right? Some people may think of some good things. Maybe they've been truly blessed and edified by a church. It's been uh, instrumental, and, uh, instrumental in bringing a change to the life. Uh, sometimes people may think uh, regarding church, they think bad things, right? Some people uh, have a bad experience at church. Maybe they've been hurt or they've had confusion or uh, something of that nature. One thing we know about church is that not every church is identical and they're not identical in a variety of ways that we might look at, right? Churches vary in their doctrinal distinctions. Churches vary in maybe their spirit or attitude that there is among the body itself. They vary in their traditions, maybe their method of worship or their style of music, their ministry activities, their leadership practices, their form of preaching and teaching. They vary in their priorities. We could go on and on and on about the very differences that may be found in churches. But considering all these differences that could be, what is it that makes a church truly a good church? What should a person look for in a church? And the answer to that really should be a healthy church. And I'll kind of define what that means a little bit later, but that should be the core uh, focus. What makes a healthy church healthy? That really is the question every Christian should want to know and seek out when it comes to a church. And that's why we're diving into this study. We're going to look at characteristics of what make a healthy church. I think we see them in the Bible. Now, we use the word healthy quite often, right? We use it most often in referring to our own bodies. When we think about our, our bodies and our life, we'd say we want to be healthy. That's our goal, right? We don't want to be unhealthy uh, because when we're sick, nobody likes being sick, number one. Um, anytime a man gets a cold, it's about equivalent to a woman giving birth, if you know what I'm talking about, right? And uh, we hate being sick. Um, that's a joke. We, let's, me, and, me and Bethany joke about that because she says, you're, you're worse than when I'm giving birth when you get a cold. And uh, that's just how it goes. But nobody likes to be sick, right? Because 
Because sickness is a hindrance to our intended function in this world. Now, I'll never forget when I got mono as a young preacher and soon-to-be married man. I don't know if any of y'all have ever had mono. It's a type of virus. Uh, it hits some people harder than others, and it hit me hard. I was out for like a month or so. And uh, I remember being so weak and so feeble. I mean, I lost weight as a teenager. And, and, and I, I couldn't, uh, in my sixth state, I only thought about, man, I just want to preach again. <laughs> I just want to preach. I had no strength to preach, no strength to study. I just wanted to take Bethany on a date again. You know, take her out to eat. When you're sick, it's hard to do what you are used to doing and what you want to do, what you're intended to do, right? And so what is the, what is the Scripture liken the church into in the Bible? The Bible likens the Scripture to a body. The Bible like, I just said that wrong, didn't I? I said the Bible likens the Scripture. The Bible likens the church, the church to a body, right? And with a body, you have various parts and members. And so, so health is a natural uh, illustration, if you would, that God has sanctioned for what is right and correct. And so just as the physical body can be healthy or sick, so also the church body can be healthy or sick. And if the church is sick, it will be hindered from functioning like it should function. And church, we have to understand this, there are many sick churches in our day and age, many of which don't even realize the true status of their health as a church, spiritually speaking. We want to be a healthy church body, and the only way to be a healthy, spiritually, spiritually healthy body is through the instruction of the divine physician, Jesus our Lord. Now, in our text here, we find a prayer that Paul offers on behalf of the church in Colossae. And in this prayer, along with others he mentions in other letters, we find Paul's deep desire for the church to be what it should be. And I think you see an image here of a healthy church, a desire for a healthy body of Christ there in Colossae. And so we're going to look at just a few things to foundationally lay this for us. Number one in our notes, I want you to see God's design of the church. I think this is the first aspect we need to understand when it comes to the church and what it means to be healthy. You need to understand what the church is. What is the church? Well, two things I want to bring out about this. The church is a local, visible assembly of the saints. Say, man, that's, that's kind of a long description. Well, I've got to pack as much in there as I can, right? It's a local, visible assembly of the saints. Local, meaning it meets in a particular location. It's visible, meaning you can see them, right? It's not invisible. And it's assembly of the saints, people who are born of God gathered together. So when we hear the word church... We, we should think of that. Now, when, when we come to the topic of church, all right, now, I'll point out a couple of things that people might think of when they come to church, come to the word church. Some think of church as all Christians in general, and I will say this, that it is true that there's a heavenly sense in which all believers are part of the one body that will be in heaven, right? We often hear it in that manner, and here's a passage that kind of alludes to that or brings it out to us. Hebrews 12, 22 through 24 says, but you've come to Mount Zion. He's talking to the believers. You've come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to the innumerable angels of festal gathering and to the assembly, or the church as some translations may render that, of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant and to the sprinkled blood that speaks of a better word than the blood of Abel. The Hebrew writer kind of gives a summary there of the 
heavenly arrival or blessing of what the Christian is in Christ Jesus. You are part of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, the assembly of the firstborn. And that's a wonderful truth to know that you belong to the New Jerusalem. You're a citizen of heaven. This world isn't your permanent home, is it? And so Ephesians communicates that some in that context. But here's what I want us to understand this, is that when it comes to the church as we see it on earth, what does it consist of? It is a local, visible assembly of the saints. Now here's one thing I find that I think trends towards an unhealthy mindset, is when many want to major on that universal aspect of the church in heaven and minor on the local church on earth. The Bible does the opposite. The Bible majors on the local church on this earth, local, visible, being a part of it. It minors on the heavenly. It's, it's far outweighs, okay, uh, the earthly context. And so here's what I found, too, is that some people who focus solely on the heavenly church, well, I'm part of the church, I don't need the local church. The Bible speaks contrary to that, very much so. Just because you're a member of the heavenly body, meaning you'll be a, with the one body of all saints in heaven, does not negate the earthly responsibility of being part of a local church in this world. So there's, there's a reason that God has given us this. So, so the Bible here, understand, shows us the necessity of the local church. And when we neglect the need for understanding and application to the local church, the local church trends towards an unhealthy state. I think it's important for every Christian to recognize that the church on earth is here for them too. We're meant to be part of a local body. Now, I, I treasure the local church I'm a part of. I treasure each of you. And uh, I don't know about you, but the local church is a vital part to my life, and it should be a vital part to your life. There's a reason in the scriptures in the New Testament you see all these one another passages. You know why? Because the Christian is not meant to walk this Christian life alone. We're meant to be there for each other, to help each other, to encourage each other, to spur each other along. And here's where you see this in Hebrews 10, 24 through 25. He says to the Christians here, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. You notice there's a cause there to stir up each other. You need stirring, and I need stirring. <laughs> and, and we need to be that for each other, encouragement. But he says, don't neglect to meet together. You see, you can't really fulfill the one another passages if you have nothing to do with the local church. You have to be part of a local church. You need to be. And so through the New Testament, we read repeatedly of local churches. Listen to this. 1 Corinthians 16, 19. He says, the church is of Asia. You know what he's talking about there? The local congregations throughout Asia, wherever they are. Notice he also says, send you greetings. Aquila and Priscilla, together with the church in their house, send you heartily greetings in the Lord. So you see this, visible congregations of baptized believers in fellowship and communion together for the glory of God. But you'll also notice, I want to point this out too, that some may think when you come to church, they think of, well, a particular building or location. This is another important aspect to understand. We're surrounded by church buildings and properties and church signs, and that's a good thing. Uh, we have such great freedom in this great nation to have churches everywhere. Uh, more churches, I don't have any problem with more churches, right? We need churches, we need more light of the gospel. But understand, is the church the building and the sign, or is it something else? 
the church is not the building, and it's not the sign, it's not the property. The church is the people. The people are the church. You know what? We as Lee Creek, if we chose to meet at Walmart parking lot on Sunday, we could gather there and have church. We would still be Lee Creek Baptist Church. Anybody up for that? <laughs> Probably not, right? You'd much rather come here. Uh, but I'm just making a point. If we go under, go, come into persecution, we have to hide somewhere else. We can't meet here, but we have to gather somewhere else. We're still going to be Lee Creek Baptist Church. The church is the body of people. It is people. And so what you find here is that the church, the people are the temple, not the building. We, the people are the church, okay? 1 Corinthians 3.16, do you not know that you are, the temp, that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? He's tell, he's, Paul's writing to the church in Corinth, you are the temple of God. You understand that churches didn't have buildings like this until later on in church history. Many of them met in homes. Many of them met in caves. Many of them met wherever they could gather, in a field, whatever it may be. So we look at the church here. The fact that the church is the people of God gathered together shows us further that the church is local and visible. So now we come to this question. Why do the saints assemble in a local and visible manner? And here's the answer. The church gathers to minister the word of God, to worship the God of the word, and obey the word of God in all of its practices. That's what we are called together to do, is to worship and glorify and obey God according to his word. John Calvin rightly says here, wherever we see the word of God purely preached and heard, and the sacraments administered according to Christ's institution, there it is not to be doubted a church of God exists. And those are probably the key elements that we look for in a church. And most would include discipline with that, because, uh, but he, he ties that into the administration of the ordinances because that is tied into there. But that's what we see in the early church. They did this. Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayers. You look at the early church as a model for a healthy church. So we gather in that reason. But letter B, the church not only is a, is a local visible assembly of believers, the church is a living, unified body of believers. So we think about this. The church is not just a gathering of just any group of people. The people who gather as the church are the people of God. And as God's people, we're not like other groups of people who may gather for certain purposes, are we? Now, you think about maybe a, a company has a gathering of its employees, and maybe they have a getaway, right, a, a retreat. They may have all of their employees come to one location, and they're there to go over meetings, go over budget for the fiscal year. Maybe they're setting goals and all of those sorts of things. That would be an assembly. They're gathering. They're doing something together, right? But the church is different than that, isn't it? It's not like some corporation. You see, the local church meets because we have a common mission and we have a common connection that is different than anything else in this world. We, as God's people, we are one in Christ Jesus. We're unified together. We're, we're connected deeper. We're not like just a fellow employee to a fellow employee. We're a family, spiritually speaking, brothers and sisters in Christ. We're not just like any, any other kind of gathering. So here's what, here's what Jesus prayed, all right, and, and he reveals this. John 17, 11, this was Christ's prayer before he went to the cross. He says, and I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. 
You see, this is the desire for unity among the people of God, among his church. And the disciples were that first New Testament church. Oneness and unity are to be the norm for the local church. And we're to recognize that the church is not some dead gathering of, uh, of people for some religious tradition. We are a living body of believers united to a living king who rose from the dead. So much different. So the oneness of God's people together is further seen in the analogy of the body. And I want you to take your Bible to 1 Corinthians 12 to see this. I'm going to read the text. I don't have time to expound all the text, but I just want you to see it even as we read it, all right? I want you to see how Paul describes the church uh, in its unity, in its function uh, as a body. He uses that analogy, and it's a good analogy. You'll notice in 1 Corinthians 12, and I'll just read down through verse number 27, and notice, notice his, his analogy as he comes through this. He says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit were we all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where were the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would this be the sense of smell? But as it is, as it is God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we've bestowed the greater honor, and our unrepresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, notice this, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. And he goes on to say, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Now that's a lengthy discourse. I don't have time to lay all of that out. But I do want you to see the analogy of the body he uses and the importance of every part of the body. You understand that God is the one who adds to the body, right? He's the one that does that. And so he adds what is needed. And we are not ever to look at one person of the body and say, well, you're less important than I am, so we don't really need you, right? That's not how it works. That's just not how it works. And so each member needs each other and it's to operate together. The church is alive, a functioning body, meant to be all that God's called her to be together. And since the church is one body, we as a body ought to seek to be healthy in our functioning together as that body. Now, this is kind of just a brief summary and foundation of the church. I didn't have time to go into a deep ecclesiology or doctrine of the church here. We could spend all year on that alone. But one key for us to understanding a healthy church is this, is first seeing what God's design of the church is. 
It's a local visible assembly in this world. It is a living, functioning body together. And as a body, a body in Christ, we can be healthy or unhealthy. We can have certain aspects that are very healthy, and then maybe we might have some aspects that are not so healthy. You might be, have, have a little bit of both. So it's important for us to recognize that. So that brings me to number two. What is God's desire for his body he has put together? God's desire for the church is this. But you can't guess it. The church is to be a what? <laughs> healthy. It's to be healthy as a body. When someone is looking for a church, what should they be looking for? I can tell you what I would be looking for. I would be looking for a healthy church. If they're mature in the faith, then they must be looking for that. Now, this does not mean that they are looking for a perfect church. I want you to distinguish that. Healthy church does not equal perfect church. In fact, I'm going to just burst your bubble real quick. There's no such thing as a perfect church. No such thing as a perfect church. I love this quote by Charles Spurgeon. He, he says it better than I could. He says, if I had never joined a church till I had found one that was perfect, I should never have joined one at all. And the moment I did join it, if I had found one, I should have spoiled it, for it would not have been a perfect church after I had become a member of it. Still, imperfect as it is, it is the dearest place on earth to us. And I share his sentiment. Though the church is not perfect in this world, you're not going to find one, it is the dearest place on earth to me. So you think about how dear the church is to you. Now, while there's no such thing as a perfect church, there is such a thing as a healthy church. But sadly, understand this, many aren't really concerned about a healthy church in today's day and age. Some of that is due to ignorance, not knowing what a healthy church is, but some of that is simply because of unhealthy church practices. Many in this day and age, they want what is most convenient or palatable to their desires. And often those desires are earthly and carnal. Earthly and carnal. Unhealthy churches offer what unhealthy seekers are looking for. They are often attracted to unhealthy churches because the unhealthy churches offer what the unhealthy seekers think is good for them in relation to their religion. So unhealthy churches, you understand that in short, are churches that drift from Scripture alone as their sole authority for faith and practice. They drift from leaning on the gospel as the power of God into salvation and look to other means. They allow the culture to influence them. They allow themselves to be steeped in bad doctrine. They've sought to make the church about the people rather than about the Lord. Did you know that church isn't about us? It's not. It's about him. It's for us, but it's about him. And this will all tie together as we come through the particular characteristics that we'll look at. But I want you to consider this fact, that God is more interested in a healthy church with few people than an unhealthy church filled with many people. That's why the size of the church really doesn't matter to me. If there's 10 people here, I'd rather have 10 of you and have a healthy church than 1,000 of you and us be unhealthy. That's just how it is. And that shows you that whether small or large, whether rural or urban, known or unknown, Healthy churches are what God desires. They're what's important. So what is it to be a spiritually healthy church? I want to give kind of a summation of this from our text. We'll come into it. In short, a spiritually healthy church magnifies the true character and glory of God through their belief and obedience to the word of God. A healthy church exalts Christ as she matures and follows 
the divine instructions of her Lord. So we say, we want a healthy church. We see any kind of instruction in the scripture that might show us what that looks like. Well, I think there's a little bit here in verse 9. It's not exhaustive. There's more in other passages, but I wanted to use this passage to show you this. Look at what he communicates in his desire for the church at Colossae. In verse 9, in Colossians chapter number 1, notice that his prayer for them is this, that you be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. What do you see there? Paul wants the church to be filled with the knowledge of his will. You see, a healthy church seeks to know the will of God so that they may carry out the will of God. The church does not have the right to seek to do its own will. We're not like that. We're not supposed to be that way, at least. We are to seek the will of God in all that we believe, in all that we do, in all that we say. The church, understand, is to follow his will above all else, no matter what that costs them. So how is the will of God known through the church? How do we know what God's will is? is we, do we just get some sign from heaven, or do we just have a random thought, I think God wants us to do this? No. The will of God is plainly revealed where, church? In the Word of God. You want to hear God speak, open your Bible and read it. That's how you get his message. That's how you know his will, okay? So the church is to follow his will. This is why the church in the early, early first century was so often instructed to teach and to know right doctrine. Doctrine matters. As we looked at Timothy not long ago, but he told Titus in Titus 2.1, but as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. What's that word sound mean? I thought it was interesting. In the Greek lexicon, there's two definitions here, and it's physical and spiritual. But in a physical sense, it means to be in good physical health. You want to be in sound health, right? In a spiritual sense, it means to be sound or free from error. So you could basically say that sound doctrine is spiritually healthy doctrine, doctrine that is right, free from error, truth. And so that is the foundation, understand, of a healthy church. It is truth. It is scripture. It is the will of God revealed, known, and practiced by them. And that is why the doctrine of scripture alone, sola scriptura, if you want to use one of the five solas, is a non-negotiable for every church. If a church abandons sola scriptura, they abandon being healthy. Maybe even abandon being a church altogether, depending on how far they go. So a church is not founded on opinion or tradition. They must be grounded in the word of God if they're to be healthy. So what's the purpose of knowing the will of God? Notice as Paul continues, Paul says, so as, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. See, right knowledge of God leads to the right application of his will. His desire for the church is to walk in a way that pleases him, to do things that please him, that are in accordance with his will. So often churches look to do what pleases them. I've been in churches that have done that. They fight and bicker over the dumbest things and often go in a direction that is contrary to what Scripture plainly reveals. And I'm thinking in my mind, why are we even contemplating it's not in the scripture. And so this is where we see how important this is. We want to please God, not ourselves. Notice what this brings about in verse 10. Bearing fruit in every good work. Isn't that what the Christian is to be, is to be fruitful? Isn't the church to be fruitful? A tree is known by its what? Fruit, right? There's good fruit, there's bad fruit. 
Now, you can see a lot about a church by the fruit that they produce. What do they produce in them? Is there a spirit of love? Is there unity? Is there truth there? Are they, are they, are they compassionate for the lost? Do they want to reach sinners? Do they care for missions? So many things we could tie into this. So understand that an unhealthy church will produce unhealthy fruit, but we're meant to bear fruit unto God. A healthy church produces good fruit. Notice next in his desire for them. I like this. It is to be increasing in the knowledge of God. That's his prayer is for them. A church that's increasing in the knowledge of God. You know what that, that teaches us a couple things. Let me ask you this. Does the church ever come to an end of increasing in the knowledge of God? There are some that think they have. There are some that think they have. You understand? What's that teach us? That's teaches us one thing. A healthy church, one is continually growing in knowledge of God. But if they're going to continually be growing in knowledge of God, this also means that a healthy church is not puffed up in their pride about knowledge of God. And that is one of the dangers of knowledge. If we're not careful, we can think we know so much that we become arrogant and proud about it. Let us never be that way. Because we have barely scratched the surface of all that we can know about God. The Bible, his word is inexhaustible. You'll never come to the end of it. It's not a book that you finish. It's a book you follow for the rest of your life. Romans eleven thirty three tells us of God, oh, the depth, the riches, the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. And ultimately, the greater that we know God, the greater we may reflect him to the world around us And because that's our purpose, why we're here, church. We're here to make Christ known. We're here to magnify the glory of his beautiful, awesome person that he is, Savior, Lord, and King, eternal, all that he is. We're to make him known. Paul wrote to the Ephesians concerning the importance of God's people in the church. And he says in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10 through 11, talking about the mystery of God being revealed. And notice what he says here about this. So that through the church, note that, through the church, how God has worked in the church and what he's done for the church, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places, this was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord. The church is a beacon to the glory of God. And as Paul continues through this text and his desire, you look at verse 11 and 12, we could continue on. I'm not going to exhaust all of this. Verse 11, he tells them he wants them to be strengthened with all power according to the, his glorious might for all endurance and patience and joy. He wants this church to have, have strength and stability, joy and peace. These are marks of healthy Christians. But he goes on to say, giving thanks to the Father. He wants this church to be thankful, recognizing where their salvation comes from, recognizing where all their goodness comes from. Giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. See, all of this ties in to what a healthy church is to be. But not only that, understand, not only do we see that we're supposed to be healthy as a body, Letter B, I want you to see this too because this ties into all of it together. The church is to be holy in its practices. What sets Christ's church apart from all the other professing congregations out there? It is that she is not like the culture and not like the world around her. She's not like them in her position of who she is in Christ. And she's not to be like them in her practices and what she does. Jesus in his prayer said of his disciples... 
They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Christian, did you know that you are not of this world? You're not. You're born again. You know what born again? The Greek word for born again literally means born from above. Heaven. You're not of this world if you know Christ. Therefore, we're not to be like that, right? Notice that Paul communicates this truth in this text to a degree. Verse 13 and 14, notice what he reminds, he tells them of, okay? This is the foundation for why we do what we do. He says, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We used to be part of the world, but by the new birth, we're no longer part of that world. We're not of it. See, if the church is not of the world and has been delivered from the world, why would the church need to be like the world to win the world? <laughs> That's a tongue twister, isn't it? I need to say it again. If the church is not of the world and has been delivered from the world, why would the church need to be like the world to win the world? You can't win the world with the world. It doesn't happen. The church doesn't need the world to make her better, the culture to make her better. She needs nothing of the world. And yet what we often see today are churches trying to adapt themselves to the world in order to gain the world. It doesn't work that way. One example I saw recently was, I don't know if you saw it on Super Bowl Sunday, there were several churches having Super Bowl services. You know why I'm not going to have a Super Bowl service? Because there's no Super Bowl in the Bible. That was hard, wasn't it? I'm talking about churches that were having plays and displays and even kicked a Bible that was shaped like a football. All for the sake of appealing to their crowd for Super Bowl Sunday. It's tragic. It's very tragic. And I want you to understand that when the world infiltrates the church, she sinks. She doesn't stay afloat. She doesn't, she doesn't overcome. She, she doesn't have victory in what she's supposed to be doing. She sinks. Paul said to the church in Rome, bear in mind, the church is in view here. Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to this world. You know what the word conformed means? It means to pattern after. Don't pattern after the world around us. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You see, a healthy church has at her heart and foundation the redemptive work of Christ in the kingdom that she's now part of. She's not part of this world laboring for it. She is part of the kingdom of God, and it is all because of the redemptive work of Christ. And being such, she is to be what God has called her to be, and that is to be holy. Holy. And I point this out plainly for you here. Leviticus 19.2, God said to Israel, his people in the Old Testament, speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, you should be holy, for I am the Lord your God in heaven. Oh, that's just Old Testament stuff. Okay, let's go to the New Testament. 1 Peter 1, 15 through 16. Paul, Peter writes to those Christians, but as he who has called you is holy, so be ye holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. He quotes Leviticus. The church is called to be holy. You know what holy means in its basic, basic description, basic meaning? It means to be distinct, separate. The holiness of God is his otherness. His Otherness, his uniqueness that separates him from everything else. The church is to be that. And a healthy church must function in that way. 
Because many, many churches are man-centered, they are worldly-centered, they have departed from biblical convictions and practices, and they have left, our, what, left off what it means to be holy. And churches in that kind of a state, understand this, they are unhealthy churches. Unhealthy churches. And God's desire is for us to be healthy. Notice with me number three, and lastly, I'll try to be swift. I want you to see God's decree for the church. God's decree for the church. God has decreed, firstly, letter A, that Christ will build his church. And this is a comfort to me. What's one reason so many churches think they need to rethink church and redo how church should function with new methods and new fads? Because they think that reaching people rests wholly on them. It doesn't. It doesn't. Here's a few things I want to point out that's wrong with that mindset. One is they fail to understand that they have no power to win anyone. You understand that there's not any one of us that can be as persuasive enough, as manipulative enough, or attractive enough to make somebody a Christian. You just can't do it. Using carnal or worldly attractions to bring people in people does not actually change people. There's only one thing that actually changes people, and what is it, church? It's the gospel. Romans 1.16. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? It is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, the Jew first, also the Greek. He's not ashamed of the gospel. You understand, when churches try to adapt the world to try to win people, they're ashamed of the gospel. They think it's not enough. The gospel is all we need. It hasn't lost its power. They also failed, secondly, to understand that what you win people with, you've got to keep people with. Carnal or worldly means must be kept up with if you're going to keep those carnal and worldly people because once you leave off those things, they're going to follow their natural course and go back to where they were. Thirdly, they fail to understand that God alone saves sinners by his sovereign grace and he adds them to the church as he pleases. Remember what Jesus said to Peter and his disciples, Matthew 16, 18. He said, I tell you, you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. By the way, the rock is not Peter, it's Jesus in that text. But here's what Jesus says. He says, I will build my church. What's that show us? That shows us the progress of the church rests wholly upon the power of Christ. He alone has the power to save, and he will do so because he said he's going to do so. He does, he does this, how? By the gospel we mentioned a moment. Through the word of God, the spirit of God. He does not do it through new fads, techniques, or for de from departing from the word of God. The early church shows us the healthy example here. Acts chapter number 2, 46 and 47. Look at this for a moment. Day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And notice this next statement, and who added to the church? The Lord. The Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. The Lord adds to his church who he wants, when he wants. See, I've never been one who's going to try to manipulate or pressure people into, one, professing faith, two, joining the church. If someone wants to join the church, I do my best to give them space and let God work in their heart. It's not my job to make people join. I'll never do that. That's not how I operate. I don't think the Bible instructs us to do that. I think the Lord works in people's hearts to lead them. Jesus says the church is my church. This is another thing. The church belongs to him. 
Why does the church belong to Jesus? Why do you think it belongs to Jesus? Because he bought it. <laughs> he bought it. What did he buy it with? Precious the church is. He purchased his church with his blood. Man has no right, regardless how good as his intentions might be, to alter God's design and instructions for the church. Lastly, letter B. God has also decreed Christian accountability for in the church. See, we see there's a side here of sovereignty in which he's the one who adds, he's the one who saves, he's the one who's working. But does the sovereignty of God negate the responsibility of man? Absolutely not. Never does. See, seeing a church that is truly healthy is the responsibility of the whole body of believers, not just even the pastors or those in leadership. Now, by all means, the pastors must lead the way in seeing a church to be biblical and healthy. Somebody has to be out front teaching and preaching and leading that direction, right? And the Hebrew writer gives some sobering insight into this. Hebrews 13, 17, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. There's a twofold application there, one for the church and one for the pastor. It's a fearful thing that I am accountable for Lee Creek before God. If I don't do my duty in leading us to be a healthy church, then... I have to give account to that. You know, many ministers today, they want bigger churches, bigger churches, bigger churches. I'm just going to let you in a, a little secret church. I'm not after that. That's, don't, don't be afraid that, oh, if he gets an offer from a bigger church, he's gone. No, 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 no. Bigger church, more problems, number one. <laughs> bigger church, more accountability, number two. Now, if God were to do that, I'm never rule anything out, but understand that Accountability here is important. John Brown was writing to a new pastor over a small congregation once, and he wrote this, and he said, I know the vanity of your heart, that you feel mortified, that your congregation is very small in comparison with those of your brethren around you. But assure yourself on the word of an old man that when you come to give an account of them to the Lord Christ at his judgment seat, you will think you have had enough. And that is very true. Wise insight from John Brown. But here's the other aspect of this, church, is that we together are to be laboring for a healthy church. There's an aspect here even in this passage. He says, let the pastor do his work with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. You understand there are some churches that don't let the pastor serve with joy because they cause so many problems. They're cantankerous, they're immature, they're irrational. There's, there's all kinds of things. Now, I'll just say this confidently, and I'm not just saying it to say it. We don't have that problem at Lee Creek. <laughs> I'm very thankful for you, church body. There's a good, healthy spirit here. But let us not think that we're perfect and there's no need of improvement in other areas of our church. And so I want to challenge this church that we as Christians, every church needs, every ch Christian needs to care about the health of their church. Why? Because you're part of that body. You're part of that body. If one part hurts, all of it hurts. And so these are, the, these are some of the foundational things, I think, and that we needed to look at to set the tone for the characteristics that we'll be looking at in the church. And I pray that as we come through this study, uh, we'll be more healthy for that. We'll be better off for that. We can make application to our lives.